baby where we started now we on to something new let me introduce you to some of the fresh crew hollywood jack get yeah, a leader of the pack cory on your man Ramsey coming in stack robin with the y chilling in the nest holding down the crew can't forget the rest queen of queens carrying yet she taking no mess bring your a game cause there ain't none less Paco last minute standing, yeah, you know Bring how it goes. Rounding out the best, JV to the pros. JV to the pros. I'm Jack Vecchio with my partner, oh, wait. The streak of 80 straight shows in a row consecutively, one after another, is about to come to an end. Um, Paco is, is here, the last man standing, and we're going to be doing the show together. For the first time. It's the first time it's just been you and me. Yeah, no, actually. I mean, it's the first time that it's been you and me just on this show. Right. No, We've I... worked together on other projects. That's correct. Ladies and gentlemen, yeah, this is our first time <laughs> in the audio medium. I normally have a third man or something along the lines, but it's just going to be uh, a duet. <laughs> but Paco does not know the reason that Corey could not make the show tonight. And he has speculated that Corey got his vaccination shot and it walloped him. But... What happened was, Corey and I, last week after we did the show, we were <clears throat> playing that childhood game where you take turns, one punch, and punch each other in the stomach once, and you take turns until somebody gives out, you know, until their abs hurt too much. And um, so Corey and I began playing the punch in the stomach game, and uh, Corey punched my abs of steel and dislocated a knuckle. And I punched Corey, and his appendix ruptured. So you pulled away from our studio last week. We said, bye, Paco. And then Corey and I became childish. And about a half an hour later, Corey was being rushed to the hospital. His appendix had burst, and they literally had to save his life. So it's not just a vaccination. I know, the look on your face. We didn't let you we didn't let you know the whole story just yet. You know, I kind of feel like, you know, you always hear about uh, when you put like, uh, when you, what's it called? When you, uh, when you, when you blinders. Blinders on a horse, you know, it's like you let me, it's like, cause, you know what? I knew something was up. I had a feeling because you didn't bug me all week about, hey, where's the show? Where's the show? You know, because I was off doing my own stuff, you know, working for other clients. But no, this I would expect something from this guy about like, hey, where's the show? Because no. this is your baby. <laughs> I, I didn't realize that, you know, there was a life-threatening situation was, planning I, I, out here. Well, Why did okay. you tell me this? I, I, I'm messing with you about us punching each other in the stomach. Corey and I don't hit each other. But um, what actually happened um, when we did the show last week, if you notice, as we were wrapping everything up and putting away the equipment, Corey was moving kind of slowly. And he was just kind of... Um, I don't want to say wobbling, but he was lumbering and he kind of just wanted to get the night over with. By the time I left from the studio and got home, I got a call, um, I think six hours later that he was in surgery and, um, Corey was in pain and his, um, his appendix did burst. burst, yeah. Yeah. So we weren't punching each other in the stomach. No, of course like not. Come on, no, no, no. <laughs> but I, charges but... <laughs> were not filed. No, no, no. Charges. <laughs> That's a good line. No. Um. So Robin calls me up and says he's in surgery, and um, they're they're putting him back together again. And I thought, oh my goodness, <laughs> like, and um, so obviously the next two days and two nights, 
we were going half hour at a time. And Robin finally went home from the hospital because they said there was no reason for her to stay there. There was nothing, nothing for her to do. Right. And it wasn't life-threatening. Once they had everything under control, it was just a matter of finishing the procedure and letting them rest and then taking them home when they called her. So Robin brought him home and said he was kind of out from the uh, from the anesthesia and the medication and everything. And he and so we producer Karen and myself kept in touch and we just kept saying, look, anything you need, you don't have to leave the house. We'll bring it to you. And they said, no, we're good. It's just a matter of getting through. And then um, so that he went in for surgery, I think it was Friday. And uh, by Monday, he was kind of walking around, but he's real, real tender. So he um, was thinking about doing the show and keeping the streak alive. But the fact of the matter is it wouldn't have been healthy for him to, first of all, be upright. No, no, no. And, like, yeah. No, this is a legitimate. When you have something that, ha- that you know, serious happen. Right. I mean, come on. I yeah. Mean, you know. So, I mean, he could start another streak. We'll do plenty more than 80 more shows. But, I mean, the fact that he did 80 in a row and I did somewhere around 75. <laughs> you know, Jack, this isn't the first time something's happened on me on a job site. What? No. Um, like what? So uh, this is uh, about two years ago. My father went in for surgery to get his hip replaced, right? Your, your dad had a hip replacement? Yeah. No, because um, I told you in the past that he was a paratrooper in the Army, right? Yeah, but I didn't, know he, I didn't know he had a hip replacement. Oh, yeah. I mean, I watch him walk. He looks completely balanced. That's exactly. You should have seen him beforehand. He was wobbly like crazy. See, all those jumps from uh, you know when he was in Airborne, it screws up your... Uh, Do you, does he have any idea how many jumps he did? Yeah, he did over 100 jumps, I believe. Oh, wow. So his knees must be bad. Oh, no, too. he's shot. No, they were wow. shot. You should have seen him. And see, um, before you met, like, because that was the first time you met my dad that one time, right? Um, When we went to the studio. Yeah, in, in, in PB. Beach, yeah. yeah. So about before the surgery, he was huge. He was pushing about 270 or almost 300 at his peak. The reason for that was because he was on so many medications. And the drugs that they were prescribing him, they prohibited him from losing weight naturally. So, yeah, he was working out every day, but it didn't help. So the doctor told him, okay, so the first thing you got to do the year before, we got he got gastric, he got his stomach, uh, what's it called again? Um, oh, stomach stapled? Stomach stapled, yeah. yeah. And then a year uh, passed, mm-hmm. he lost the weight, so he was down to about his natural weight, about 170-ish, give or take. Right. So then the doctor told him, okay, you're ready for surgery. So I was actually filming up in Fallbrook, a lacrosse, no, it was a, um, what's the British version? Rugby. It was a rugby tournament. <laughs> lacrosse and rugby. No, but, That's their version of football. No, no. Lacrosse is actually indigenous to the United States. It was created by the Indians or Native Americans. Native people. Americans, right. Yeah, yeah. Really politically correct right, right, there. Right, right. I apologize, too. No, it's okay. All right. Even though I donate half my money no, to the There's casino. nobody. There's nobody. <laughs> not yet. Not yet. Okay. No, but um, this is where it takes a turn for the dark. So, I was not aware of this, but I kind of had a feeling. And then I, d- I screwed up and, you know... People make mistakes, but you know me. I'm pretty sharp when it comes to video production, right? Oh, when it comes to video production? Yeah. yeah. Rest of everything in life? No. <laughs> All right. I'll save the Goodfellas joke right there. I'll go home and get your f***ing shine box. No, but um, I felt something happen, like something kind of like, you know, kind of like a sixth sense kind of thing, like something churning in my stomach. And I screwed up. I forgot to hit record on the last part of the game. But this is what I found oh, out. Oh, this is the one. Oh, I know what you're talking about. But this is okay. But this is where it gets even darker. I get in the car. I load up all the gear. My mom is calling me, and she's going, "Hey, where are you, son?" I was like, "Mom, I just finished a job. What are you, what's going on?" It's like, "It's your dad. What, what what happened? He almost died." I'm like, "What? Could you imagine? 
No, God, are you kidding you me? Imagine? No, like, I, he's, I, he's, I, I, he's a load bearing wall in that family. No, oh, he absolutely yeah. is. No, but then I found in, in more it, ways than just financially. No, he's I, a load bearing wall in that family. I'll put it this way: that man holds the glue. He's the glue. Yeah, he is the uh, cement. Yeah. He's the PVC cement. Yeah, that is some stuff. He's a pretty awesome dude. No, he is. Yeah. So let me tell you what happened. So when he was coming out of surgery, they were uh, there was a, there was a foul up with the anesthesia, so they kept on administering it. Oh, and it kept flowing. It kept flowing. Oh, boy. So, obviously, anesthesia, if you put too much, it could become lethal. So, that's what happened. So, the surgeon started noticing his blood uh, his blood pressure dropping. Yeah, but there's there's machinery that alerts. Yeah, right, I mean, that's get, what happened. alerts, okay. Yeah, so yeah. then they kept saying, like, hey, what's going on with this guy? We just finished surgery. He's fine. Why does it keep dropping and dropping? And it got to the point but when they... That's re- the fault of the anesthesiologist. Oh, yes, it is. Sure. Yeah, in fact... So, you guys are really rich now? No, unfortunately not. <laughs> Their lawyers are just too good. Yeah. yeah. So, um, okay. Well, I'm glad that didn't happen to no. Corey before we get away from our man. But I was, um, I was surprised that um, it never occurred to me, Corey, being the military guy that he is, oh, the, 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 your the, body becomes fragile. Yeah, but I, I just never think of him having any sort of a vulnerability or ailment. Like, oh yeah, when I go places with him. I, I sit there and I think, okay, you know what? I mean, if if anything happens, I'm certainly the, the weaker of the two, and I'm I'm bigger than he is. I'll put it this but way: he's solid. Jack, here's the thing about military They're guys: very good They're at compartmentalizing. Good at compartment. So we don't know what's going on between that stoic expression of him. For all we know, he's no, you know screaming on the inside. I'll I'll tell you what: Corey and I have had many dinners. We've had many talks. He is remarkably organized in his mind. Um, he seems to be ready for any emergency. I, I, I am kind of la da da, having fun. Where, where do I make my next joke? And he is always his head on a swivel. He is aware of his surroundings more than I am. He is definitely the man you want to be. Like if you're going to wander around New York, you want to go up into the Bronx, bring Corey with you. Corey will keep an eye out in every direction. He is on maneuvers everywhere he goes. I think it's just the way he's. Built. Well, yeah, of course. Yeah, so. Of course. When the EMP hits and fries our elect- or power grid, he's the first guy I'm going to. Right. Oh, yeah. But uh, I will mention this, though. Um, we did a podcast with him in my studio when I had him on as a guest. He mentioned something that he's actually photosensitive. So he actually asked me to dim the lights. And obviously, I wanted to, you know, it's kind of the little filmmaker in me going like, no, no, you're going to ruin my shots. Like, no, I had to increase the ISO on the cameras. He wanted to, he wanted to dim the lights, and you're like, oh, no. No, you're like a little, a little high pitched. No, yeah. no, Mr. Bill. <laughs> no, but we come, we we compromise. And what I did was I just, you know, you have big, powerful, you know, lights. All you have to do is just bounce them on the ceiling. If they're like just white, like this uh, stucco kind of pattern here, it'll diffuse everything. So we ended up using that. Well, I'll tell you what, I I, I am uh, I am very happy. Well, I'm glad he's that, a, thing, that things are that things are good with 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 Corey because I I, I was surprised. At how worried I was about him, I I, I couldn't sleep. I, I wasn't eating regular meals. I, and then once I heard he was he was on the mend, all of a sudden it was this big exhale. It was this feeling of like, oh god, okay, we're gonna be all right, you know. Like, it, it's a weird it's a weird test in your life where you sit there and say, wait a second, this guy has a vulnerability about him, and I just never looked at him that. I just never looked at him. Robin, yeah, Karen, yeah, me, you, yeah. But not him. So um, the big guy does have the big guy does have a vulnerability about him. So uh, Corey, we are sorry you're not on the show. You're not on the show with us this week. But 
we are looking forward for your return next week. And next week, I will be in production, and you'll be here with Paco, and you guys run the show and do your thing, and I'll uh, I'll listen to it and make sure I screen it through before we post it. But um, you guys will be on your own next week. But my man, Corey, you... <laughs> Oh, man, I'm so glad you're okay. I'm so glad you're okay. Now, I wanted to tell uh, Paco that um, I watched um, Elon Musk hosting Saturday Night Live. Thank you very much. It's an honor to be hosting Saturday Night Live. I mean that. Sometimes after I say something, I have to say I mean that. (laughs) So people really know that I mean it. That's because I don't always have a lot of international variation in how I speak, (laughs) which I'm told makes for great comedy. He's kind of a character. I saw him in a movie called Why Him with James Franco and Brian Cranston, and I I thought he did a fine job. He had a small part, and he did a fine job, but hosting Saturday Night Live is a different animal. And I thought, okay, I'm wondering how how he gets through this, especially where he doesn't seem to be quite as glib as most famous people, most celebrities. He's got a little bit of funny about him, but a seven-minute monologue to open a show like Saturday Night Live on Mother's Day, I thought, okay, let's see what happens here. And his very first opening was the fact that he claimed to be the very first host of Saturday Night Live to host with Asperger's. And I immediately thought of you, Paco. I was like, wait a second. Well, that's very thoughtful. You, you guys you guys have that in common, and look how successful it is. I mean, you're very successful in the industry. I mean, most, you know, people don't know your name because they watch films, but if they watch the credits, there you are, there you are, there you are. I mean, you're, you're working well, look, on projects. If you, if all you throw the time. my name around San Diego, you're bound oh, to bump yeah. into somebody. You know. Everybody everybody is, is about one degree of separation from you. Right. So that, I mean, I that joke, includes I, all the dealers in every casino out here. <laughs> For the wrong reasons, though. But I, I, I joke with you about a lot of stuff. But right. I've always said, there's, I've never worked with a better editor, ever. Well, I worked appreciate with a better I'm, editor than you. You're well, I appreciate the thought and the gesture. Yeah, no, that's a fact. I mean, I've never seen anybody edit better than you. There's no doubt about that. So he talks about Asperger's, and he says that he's the... A great comedy. <laughs> I'm actually making history tonight as the first person with Asperger's to host SNL. (laughs) Or at least the first to admit it. Very funny, but I'll tell you what, he did did a skit of uh, where he played Wario, the evil Mario from the video game. Right. And he's on trial for being too evil to Mario. I thought it was hilarious. Did you watch it? No, I only caught the weekend update segment when he was talking about his uh, Dogecoin uh, little scheme. The Dogecoin was very funny, but did you see how weekend update opened? I did not. Okay, so um, uh, Colin, what's his name? Uh, the guy that's dating Scarlett Johansson. Um, the, the the guy that the guy with the big hair. He's dating Scarlett Johansson. Anyway, so he opened up and said that um, a, a rocket from China was crashing down to Earth. And he said, for once, it's not Elon's fault. <laughs> and I thought that was so funny. And he said, I questioned why Elon wanted to even host the show this week. And then I realized, we're his alibi. <laughs> and, and it was one of the funniest weekend updates they've ever had. It was hilarious. Right. But they talked about the fact that this thing was crashing down. And it, but they were kind of jabbing fun at their host. 
which you rarely see them do, which means he's got a sense of humor about himself. Well, you which have was to be. awesome. I mean, see, Elon Musk is one of those characters out there. He's like, you know, I mean, Steve Jobs, Bill Gates, but he's a little, he's, he's not as like, you know, kind of not as full of himself. <laughs> but like, and he, you know, he, he's got like this thing about him that, you know, people kind of are attracted to. I think it goes back to, uh, you know, when he did the uh, Joe Rogan podcast two years ago when he started lighting up a joint on t- on the pod. And then people were saying, like, this guy is just, like, right there. He doesn't care. Well, you know, if and you then... watch, did you watch the show? Did you watch the episode? I didn't I'm see sorry. the entire episode, okay. but I saw the monologue. He talked about um, the fact that he smoked a joint with Joe Rogan. Right. And he said, Ben, now people think that's what I do because I did it once. And he said, just because somebody does something once doesn't give you the, the, the right to... to label them like that right he said for instance he said for instance you know a lot of people sit there and call oj a murderer he only did it once (laughs) 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 and he said by the way oj hosted saturday night live in 79 and 86 and he killed twice (laughs) and he thought that's so funny (laughs) and he was actually wasn't bad in uh naked gun either no then you know what i there's, I, I, I've got a list about the length of my arm of people that I think should have been instead of OJ. I think OJ was the people that you know man. personally. He was the black man's corporate America at the time. Oh, of course. He was the Mr. Hurts guy. Right? Yeah, exactly. no, like, I mean, he, was, he was doing the Wheaties commercials and he had, I mean, he had America wrapped around his finger. Well, of course I think he did. that's the reason he got, he got in the, because there's, I think there's a, a ton of people that could, I mean, you know, a lot of people, we've talked about this on the show. I mean, OJ, Turned down the lead in Terminator, right? And then you know Schwarzenegger got the Schwarzenegger role. Schwarzenegger got the role because he would have taken anything. He would have done bar mitzvahs back then. And then all of a sudden he's the Terminator. Hasta la vista, baby. I did my homework on Schwarzenegger a little bit more. Just to you know, the acting was just a was just a little side hustle for him. By then he already made his fortune because he invested everything in you know health in uh, nutritional science and all nutritional that. Nutritional science, but, yeah. But he didn't make a fortune on that. But he was um, he was well off. He 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 was he was the. the the, the brother that the dad did not believe in. He he was trying so hard to get his dad's approval. And um, Schwarzenegger desperately wanted to be famous to show his dad that he was like not just a bodybuilder, not just determined, not just disciplined, but now he's famous. And being famous is one thing, but being famous in America, no, that's all. and you're not an American, you know, that's that's... A huge check mark. So getting off of Schwarzenegger, he scored with the Terminator because, I mean, frankly, the Terminator movies made him over $250 million in his pocket. That's money in his pocket. Right, because the movie was a low budget and he worked for scale and then he got the grosses. He got the residuals. Right, because, yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah, he did. He already did Conan, which was a really great movie too, but, you know. Well, it's, not a, it's a good movie. Hey, it's, a, it's a good movie. Okay. I mean, you know. To crush your enemies, see them driven before you. And they had a lamentation of the women. I heard somebody ah. talking about um, uh, Dwayne Johnson today about the fact that the, uh, it was um, Emily Blunt was talking about the fact that people don't realize how talented Dwayne Johnson is. He's a oh, very he's talented. a very good actor. Right. It's just that his movies aren't you know up to but, snuff. But but the problem is every time a role comes along that he would do a great job at, they sit, shrug their shoulders and say, ah, he's, he's too big," because he's so much bigger than other actors. And I know that, I mean, at, at six foot one or whatever I am, and 230 pounds, so many times when they shoot, 
they either have to put me in a valley or put the person I'm playing opposite on a box because I'm I'm bigger than most actors. So most actors are yeah, five nine, five ten at most. Right. So getting back to what you said earlier about Bill Gates, I I was in, I find that interesting that you happen to bring up Bill Gates because he was kind of on my mind because that's going to be the Jeff Bezos divorce of the year. Right. No, because of his. Well, I mean, I want. No, back no prenup and everything. No, no, man. Hundred and thirty billion dollars. Right, but that was in the works for a couple of years now. You know why? Because yeah, of his association with Epstein. Yes, I just found that out today. How did Come you know on, that, man? I just found that out. I didn't know he even knew Epstein. His name has been plastered all over the flight logs for years. There's photographs of him with Prince Andrew and uh, what's his name, Stephen Hawking, when he was still alive. Now, whether or not Hawking ever had any associations or, you know, got his, you know, got his jollies on, as the British say, because <laughs> he just jollies on. <laughs> no, I, I've got a Brit friend up there. And that's what he says. He's actually a Hong Konger. So it's funnier with an accent. That's, that's funny. He got his jollies on. But but I didn't know that Bill was flying out to Epstein's Island so, with Trump. Yeah. So here's the deal. So Epstein, he was kind of like the He his scam was brilliant in the fact that. He would throw these gala events and invite all these scientists, right? And then he'd take them over to Epstein Island or Little St. George. Epstein has Island. Well, no, what, no, that, call it Epstein Island. That's yeah. actually a better – it should be called Epstein Island. It sounds like a Bond villain if no, you no, really think Epstein, about it. Epstein Island sounds more evil now. Oh, it does, it's like, yeah. it's like Dr. Evil's Island. Are those sharks with laser beams attached to their heads? You know, he's probably the closest thing to a James Bond villain in real life next to, you know, Kim Jong-un. But what he was doing there was he would leverage all the. Cr- I'm serious. That's just funny. You threw he's like, that he's in wearing there. Like, every. Remember, this is a, and we'll this be is, doing the show in North Korea next week. Up next, the firing squad. Yeah, but Epstein Island. Yeah, I didn't know that Bill Gates. No, like, was but, was getting on a private jet with with Trump and some other people, and they were going out to Epstein Island. Epstein Island and put an echo And don't forget there. good old Bill Clinton, too. I, and Bill Clinton was what, out there regularly. Yeah, oh he was, yeah, he was. Let me uh, tell you something. I know some Secret Service people. I'm not going to name any names. Well, you can't. Well, of course. <laughs> you can't name any names. But uh, they were well aware of the whole thing. Yeah, of course they were. Bill, according to them, was the worst president to ever babysit. Everybody else, Reagan, Bush especially, both Bushes, but Bush 42, I mean, sorry, Bush 43, forgive me, Texas. But uh, <laughs> Bush 43 was a baby. Like, he just, you know, let everybody just let their do the thing, including Cheney. But, you know, he's the last well, guy you want to screw with, the, you know? The truth of the matter is, um, the, the, well, Christian Bale, when he played Cheney. Oh, that was I a think great that, movie. I think that was a better look at that presidency. I do think Cheney was running. Oh, this. come on. There's no questions no, about no it. No doubt Can about it. Can I tell it. you something? Okay, so yeah. when I did a class, uh, we did a, I took a class on English literature, and we read a cl- short story about contractors in Iraq, right? And then I raised my my hand to the professor. like, hey, what's this about, Paco? Oh, what's your question, Paco? And I said bluntly, is this going to be about Dick Cheney getting his hand caught in the cookie jar? Everybody, <laughs> he started laughing out, and nobody got the joke, right? And he says, this is exactly what it's about. Mm-hmm. And then we had to give everybody a little spiel about, you know, a little company called Halliburton and what they did. Well, and, and the other thing is Cheney also had uh, a vested interest in the company that was making the duct tape. So during the whole really? 9-11 I'm... thing, he was telling people to stock up on duct tape. And all of a sudden, the stock <laughs> the stock went way up, and then Cheney sells the stock. And Cheney. when the stock went down, he bought back in, so he made a fortune in the interim. <laughs> he's like the Bill... He's like... Uh, he's, yeah. He he's, is... He's, he's, no, no, he's not Bill Gates. He's the Steve Jobs of uh, national, foreign policy. Cause I, Steve, I, <laughs> no, because Steve Jobs did the same seat. When Steve Jobs left, Steve Jobs made a lot of enemies in the 80s when he was there at Apple, right? And they forced him out. 
and then he came back in the 90s because he was still a, st- a stock well, he also came back in the 90s because Apple was about a so, dollar away from being bankrupt. That's exactly it. Yeah. So he bought it for cheap, yeah. and then he was able to pump it up in Apple. 96, now. that would have been the time to buy Apple because right. it was an escalator that never stopped climbing. Right. Yeah. I mean, I wish that and Netflix... When Netflix was offering, you know what? When the, Netflix was offering, up. when Netflix was offering to sell the blockbuster, right? The blockbuster for fifty million dollars. Oh my god! That and blockbuster been... thought it was an absurd amount of money for Netflix, and Netflix in 07 was just about done. And all of a sudden, Netflix is now the four major pillars of business. They call it Fang. It's Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, and Google. Those are the big. Dogs. In That's the a world. great acronym, Fang. I'm no, write no, that. Fang is actually so common. I've been at. Business... I never heard anybody say that. Oh before. yeah, I've been at business meetings with people from other countries, and when they talk about how important it is to be a part of Fang, I didn't know at first what it was, and then when they explained the acronym, I was like, "Oh, Fang! If you're part of Fang, then you're in," and and that is the acronym. It's Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, Google, and if you're part of Fang, you can't lose. No, absolutely not. No. No, I mean, shoot. So Bill so Bill Gates has a little bit of a dark side to him. I always thought he was like white flower. I just thought this guy was delicate. I had no idea he's driving out to he's flying out to Epstein Island and I also didn't know that um I found out that Melinda Gates was um in the works for this divorce for like 2 years now. Right. Once she found out how involved with Epstein Bill Gates was. And I thought, okay, wow. I mean, they really kept that under wraps. But being that there's no prenup. Now, when Jeff Bezos got divorced, he was worth about $140 billion. And rather than tie things up in court, he gave her a lump sum payout of $36 billion to his wife. $36 billion, which means she goes anywhere. She belongs to every country club in the world and can go anywhere she wants forever. She can do anything she wants. She's got $36 billion. And I always I always try to point out, like, people throw the word billion around, like, a lot, especially in the late 90s and to now. And, but if you were to sit still for a million seconds, you'd be sitting still for 12 days. But if you were to sit still for a billion seconds, You'd be sitting still for 32 years. That's how much greater a, a billion is over a million. And so she's got $36 billion that is just gathering steam. Well, and, and that's the other thing. Um, you know, I, I heard some things um, today that, like, you know how when people say, oh, my gosh, if I ever win the lottery, if I ever win the lottery, I would buy this, I would buy that sport car. That I heard some of the things um, today that Bezos has purchased. Now, Bezos basically at $206 billion, by the way, he made up that $36 billion. Oh, yeah. Quick. I mean, the pandemic was almost a gift from Santa Claus. For Let me tell you, so I, I, have you ever been to, so they recently built a new Amazon uh, center near my house down in Otay Mesa. I was actually part of the crew. We did a, uh, they hired me through, uh, through the crew, through the San Diego crew list to be this audio engineer on that shoot. I went to that building, right? Oh, so you did, you, it was an industrial you shot? Yeah. Down there? Oh, wow. Yeah, no, it was great. I didn't know you worked on that. Yeah, no, no. Were like, you just working like crazy when I'm not around? No, it was just some random, no, seriously, I don't know how my name, I put, I logged into that thing about a year and a half ago and I never touched it, right? And then I got a random call and it said Texas on it. It's like, who do I know in Texas? 
And it was this film crew from El Paso, of all places. They hired me, and they were really impressed with me, and they thought I was really great at the job. But back to, uh, you know, picking back to Amazon, that warehouse is huge, Jack. We're talking about six stories. That's about the size of an aircraft carrier right there. Yeah, I drove by an Amazon warehouse in L.A. Um, It's obviously not in downtown L.A., but I drove by it, and I was driving and driving and driving, and I thought, Wait you never second. thought you never no, no, see I, the end I, of it. For some for some reason, I didn't realize how enormous the building was, and I thought if people are walking around, they they must be on those segways or something getting around, because I mean that that thing was was just and I and I found out also I didn't realize Amazon has two and a half billion products they ship, different products they ship everything and anything. Amazon, I, I'll tell you what you know, as bad as the pandemic was for most people. For Bezos, it became a, a you know basically a a, a money tree. It, it just it was people were not only buying things like because they're just bored as hell at home, but people were also drinking a lot during the pandemic. Are you kidding me? Yeah, and, and somewhere around thirty billion dollars was spent last year on drunk purchases. I should have <laughs> I should have invested. Okay, what do you think I should have done? Should I uh, bought Amazon stock or Barron stock or uh, Bevmo stock? <laughs> Um, oh, Amazon would have been the winner easily. If you'd gotten in early on Amazon, it would have been like getting in on Apple in 96. I got in on AMC a little bit, but, uh, I'm still, but they, my buddy, my financial buddy was telling me, hold on to those. Well, let me, let me, let me tell you, like Bezos now has a, a, a net worth of $206 billion. So yeah, richest man in the world. Okay. I got it. He could buy his but, own country if he well, wanted to. I, he bought a sailboat. Now, most people you know, buy a sailboat. If you get a 300 foot sailboat that's a that's a pretty damn big sailboat right well he bought a 106 meter sailboat which is more than a football field and this thing actually is so big that it has an entire crew obviously to operate it well of course and it has a a yacht that flanks it to make sure it doesn't get into any shallow water (laughs) so it's a separate yacht that's a boat that he, with the it's boat. A, it's a boat with a boat. <laughs> it's a yacht that that escorts the yacht. You know, he's got this... he's got a helipad. He's got you know obviously jet skis. He's got all sorts of things on the. It's enormous, but it's more than a football. And it's a sailboat. It's not like Jerry Jones. You know what this sounds like, Jack? You ever seen Thunderball, the old James yeah, Bond yeah, movie? Yeah, 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 yeah. Sean Connery. Yeah, no, I yeah. feel like he's gonna take this down to the Caymans. He's probably. <laughs> Uh, Epstein Pro is probably hiding a nuclear weapon. Bond. James and he's going to take off on the little boat. A den of destruction. <laughs> it's like, no, I, I just, I mean, he. I was listening to some of the things he, he purchased. And he bought, um, he bought um, a museum and converted the museum into a house. Is he bored? Is, yeah, I, but, but think about it. Most of the time, if you want property value to go up, it, you want it to go from residential to commercial because commercial is worth more. Oh, yeah. This I worked was with commercial brokers. property right, he bought he, in Washington, D.C. And he flipped it. And he flipped it into a residential and made it into a 27,000-square-foot home for himself. Now, he also purchased the, the most expensive apartments in Manhattan, penthouse apartments. He spent $80 million on these apartments and then realized that there was a slight obstruction from one of the angles, so he bought the whole penthouse above him and added it to. So he's literally got twenty three thousand square foot per floor 
on three floors in a penthouse overlooking Manhattan from every direction because he takes up a block and he spent, and it's the most expensive apartment ever sold. I mean, the realtor on that. Oh, you kidding me? The commission alone. You retire on that alone. You know what I mean? I mean, that's $48 million in commission. Let me tell you something, Jack. I work with a real, I work with some realtors up on Rodeo Drive and anyone will tell you that is some very expensive real estate to put it lightly. Yeah. No kidding. I was Uh, just up there yesterday. Right. So, um, what, were you ever kicked out of there? (laughs) Kicked out of Rodeo Drive? Yeah. No, I look like I belong. Nobody's kicking. No, no. I mean, I was, I was there with a, a prominent figure. And, right. No, and I, and, I mean, they, they certainly weren't going. If they were throwing me out, they were throwing him out. Right. <laughs> well, I was there, and we were doing something, and we were thrown out because it turns out you can't film right in front of the Versace store. But no, you cannot. No, I found out the hard way. <laughs> no, we were up at the Beverly Hills Hotel. We weren't in the hotel, but we were up in that neighborhood, right. and that's where a lot of those um, file shots were taken from the beginning of uh, Beverly Hills Cop. Oh, yeah. Where they were showing these enormous homes and these sprawling yards and everything. That's that's where we were. You know what the medium average for a home in Beverly Hills is? It's got, it's, I'm going to guess 12 to 15. Seven. <gasps> that's the average? That's the average. That doesn't seem like that doesn't seem like much. There are bigger ones, for example, in Trudeau or Trudell or True uh, Truesdale. I forgot the name of the that big mansion there. That goes for like eighty or ninety mil. Yeah, but, but that's the extreme. That's the extreme. But, but the average is only seven. Seven mil. Wow. You know what? <laughs> I mean, this this TV show I'm working on that 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 might not be out of. Re- I'll tell you what. You know, producer Karen. No way she would live up there. She went up there, and Beverly Hills itself is nice if it if it were an island. Right. But. As soon as you go a half a mile outside of Beverly Hills, there's like battered car washes and. Are you kidding me? No, like it's if you want to talk about the property values drop significantly about a half a mile outside of Beverly. You must stay in the neighborhood. There are neighborhoods in Tijuana, Mexico, that look way nicer than a mile or two out of Beverly Hills. I'm not being jest here, or I'm exaggerating. That is a cold hard fact. And that is something that I brought our buddy David, Mr. You know, Cielo Drive. I told him about it. Omen. Yeah, David Omen. Yeah, I said yeah. David. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, I was telling him about it. I was like, yeah, of course, man. That's the way it is up here. You know, because. Well, I, I'll tell you what. What You know, we've been, we've been kind of going on. We'll take a little break and we'll come back. And um, although we don't have the magic hat, we don't have the magic of Corey. We're doing the truth is alien. So we won't be doing a Truth is Alien tonight, but we will talk about some uh, some other stuff that's been going on in the entertainment uh, world. So um, let's, let's take a little break. Know. We'll take a little break, and we'll be back in a couple of minutes, folks. Two and two. Is your small business, company, or corporation under a legal attack from a disgruntled former or current employee? It often happens where an employee decides to go for a money grab, hoping the business will just settle to make it go away. Well, this is wrong, and Paul Sorrentino of the firm Jackson Lewis knows this is wrong, and he consistently puts a stop to this method of extortion of businesses. Paul Sorrentino fights for you and protects you from sending out a message that you're an easy target. Paul Sorrentino is considered to be one of the five best attorneys in all of California. Many believe he might be the greatest labor attorney in the country. He represents individuals who may be getting taken advantage of by unscrupulous employers, as well as representing small businesses that might be wrongfully under fire. Paul Sorrentino of Jackson Lewis is the premier attorney when it comes to labor law. He represents several corporations that depend on his expertise in class action suits in which the corporation is being targeted. There have been times when opposing counsel has walked into court, realized they have to face Paul Sorrentino, and immediately moved to dismiss instead of letting the judge see that they're going to get shredded by Paul Sorrentino. 
Having Paul Sorrentino as your attorney is like having a legal superhero on your side. For any of your legal labor issues, call Paul Sorrentino of Jackson Lewis at 619-573-4900. And rest easy knowing Paul Sorrentino will take the best care of you. Call Jackson Lewis at 619-573-4900 and ask for the legal superhero Paul Sorrentino. Tell him JV to the pros recommended you make that call. And we are back with Season 3, Episode 18 of JV to the Pros. I'm here with my partner, the technical genius. My partner, Corey, is not here this week because he's recovering from his trip to the hospital. So, uh, Corey, we wish you very well. And I'm sure you'll be back next week because I'm not going to be here next week. You're going to have to carry things. So I'm carrying the load and doing the heavy lifting this week. And I'm hoping you're going to be able to take care of it with Paco next week. Well, I'm sure his carrier will take so care of it as well. The, 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 common, the common denominator will be Paco, who who now has something in common with Elon Musk, who's now super celebrity of Saturday Night Live. Um, but if you think about it, he has Asperger's, you have Asperger's. Right. And, but, and, that, and, and that makes you guys like kind of identical. Now, if you think about it, well... Identical, except for the fact that he's really rich. Yeah, and I still live okay. at home. Right, you still live at home. <laughs> no, but but I wanted to... and 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 look. Well, okay, he's really rich, and he has Asperger's, and uh, and and he reinvented uh, electric cars. Right. No. So electric cars, really rich, and he's got Asperger's. That you got in common, but the the the, the living at home, also um, pretty trim. That you don't have in common with him. So he's rich, reinvented electric cars. He's really trim, but he has Asperger's, so he's just like you. All right, Other yeah. than that, he's just like you. But I want to demystify something with you, all right? So this is something that I've been, uh, this is something that a lot of people want to think about when it comes to, oh, pe- when they say Asperger's, because mm-hmm. it's a little more common, it's more accepted now in modern society. And people always think about it because they, it's, you know, the autistic spectrum, right? Right. When I was, when it was explained to me when I was young, when I was in high school, it was, on, it was considered part of autism. And for the longest time, that kind of bothered me a little bit because usually when you think of autistic people, you think of Rain Man or very, very low-functioning people. people well, hang on, hang on, hang on. You know, because I, I had just gotten in the business when Rain Man was, was shooting. And Rain Man um, was very high-function. He was not a normal autistic um, person. He was a very high-function person. He was able to communicate very clearly without a lot of time between questions and answers he was not lost very often he knew judge wapner he knew Qantas. he knew he, the things he knew he was able to respond very quickly however so he was considered the reason they did that movie was they were showing an autistic person who is high function he was able to you know refer back to the fact that he knew he could drive and that somebody taught him he's a very good driver car it's my boyfriend's yeah my dad lets me drive slow on the driveway i'm an excellent driver he he was high function he was not low function at all right but what i'm trying to say is that people have this misconception that people that you know are on the autistic spectrum especially high functioning people they're automatically labeled as geniuses and it's true that we do have certain narrow interests so for example in elon musk's case his asperger's has helped him if not aided him in becoming the successful entrepreneur that he is because he's so narrowly focused on handling what he did so for example electric cars the tesla Space travel, you know, well, Dogecoin, I, I, I crypto. What, he talked about, he talked, you see, you need to see the whole show because he talked about the fact that he had created a video game character and it was like um, 
plasma man or a plaster man or something like that. But this guy was able to reinvent the way electricity was used. And he did this at 13. And then later in life, he would reinvent the way electric cars. I mean, the, the, some people with Asperger's or, or who are on the spectrum are coincidentally brilliant. They're able to play the piano or do certain things because they have this incredible, incredible focus. Uh, I'll give you an example. Um, producer Karen was a school teacher for 25 years. I was not aware of that. No. Yes, 25 years. She retired from the New York school system. And one of the things she did at the end of the day is she'd go into the library and help some of the students with their homework and stuff. And one of the kids um, liked talking to her, you know, and um, so they they would have these great, great conversations. Um, they would have these great conversations in the library, and this went on for months and months. Well, one day, um, his bus pulled away from the school, and he had lost track of time. And when he didn't get off the bus, his parents came to the school to see where he was. They were freaking out because he should have been on, it, it's a shorter bus, and it has nothing to do with, you know, mental incapacity this it's a bus specifically for these special needs kids and he wasn't on the bus and so the parents went to square one which was the school and there is producer karen who they called miss k and miss k was sitting there having a conversation with them and the parents began crying and she found out this was the first time they had heard him speak. He had been talking to her for months. So the school thought this is crazy that, that he opened up and, and felt comfortable talking to, to producer Karen. And so they began having producer Karen spend time with other autistic kids. And they began opening up and talking to her. There was something about her. It was kind of like the autistic whisperer. But she began getting these kids to talk. So here's the funny thing is. Where producer Karen was teaching was a big New York Jets supported area. They were big New York Jets fans everywhere. So the kid begins speaking, and now he doesn't stop talking. But what he's saying is, I love the Patriots. I love Tom Brady. I want the Patriots to win the Super Bowl every year, and they're going to win the Super Bowl because Tom Brady is the greatest. So the parents came back into the library one day after school and said, can you shut him up? <laughs> you know, where's Corey when you need him? Because he'd be like, Corey would be like, that's his number one guy that's right there. That's a true story. No, it he is, said, I bet. But, but this kid would not stop, no, but, but, and he was, and he what was you were, silent. No, what you're saying there, it's called selective mutinism. Uh, selective mutism. Selective mutism. Yeah, so yes. it's huge, especially with uh, people on the fun uh, that are low functioning and whatnot. Unfortunately, low function, high functioning. I mean, it's just, just anybody on the on the on, on the, the spectrum. spectrum. Yeah, right. no. Yeah. And a lot of people miss that cue because they think like you know, well, because like you, we we grow over time, especially our you know how we understand mental disorders. Right. You know, fifty, sixty years ago, they would have you know thrown the kid in a mental institution or asylum. Well, I mean, or, look what the Kennedys did with the the one the, with the daughter. The, the yeah, daughter. I yeah, mean, they, they turned around they, and they, they gave her a lobotomy, right? And and then just dropped her off at a facility and never looked at her again. I mean, right. well, let's not. That, that's that, that's one thing. That's nobody the, was visiting this kid once the kid was just basically a mannequin. They just stopped visiting. They they this kid was a, a political embarrassment 
to their attempts at, at keeping political office. That's really interesting that you mentioned them and not their association, that they were huge fans of the Reich. And the other thing is uh, Rose Kennedy is the founder of the Special Olympics. Oddly, she had a soft spot, although Rose did not get in front of the media and appear on the 6 o'clock news no, of about the way they treated the one daughter. Was it Eunice? Yeah, I think that was her name, yeah. Eunice. And, and so Eunice ended up with a lobotomy, and they just kept operating on her brain and every time they asked her to say the alphabet, anytime she got four or five letters in, they would just clip more brain. Right. Until she finally stopped being able to say anything. Right. And they just basically wanted to shut her up and then let her go off somewhere and die. And I think this is horrible. And then the hypocrisy is, you know, Rose turns around and, and is the founder of the Special Olympics. And you sit there and you go, okay, how does this family live on both sides of the fence? Well, I mean, anybody in power, especially them, I mean, here's another example. The guy who created the Nobel Prize, you know how he became famous? The guy who created, is this the gunpowder story? Yeah, that's it. Okay, go ahead. Invent, no, well, he just invented dynamite. <laughs> yeah, but he invented gunpowder. No, no, no. The Chinese invented gunpowder. but Nobel uh, Peace Prize. Right. Came to be. Oh, or, the fir- or the first winner of the Nobel Peace Prize was the person that invented gunpowder. I think that's the story. No, no, the guy who created gun, I mean, uh, dynamite created the Nobel Peace Prize. Oh, is that how it went? Yeah, no, because like the Chinese invented gunpowder thousands and thousands of years ago. Really? Yeah. Yeah, that's why they've always had that edge in terms of technology. Then why weren't they making blow up movies earlier? I don't know. They resorted to nunchucks when they had the dynamite early. But, um, oh, 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 you know what I, um. Well, uh, you know what, but we do have to address some other stuff. Right, because I was going to say, um, uh, the, the passing of one of my absolute favorite characters and one of my favorite people at the age of 89 olympia dukakis who is a relative of dukakis who ran for president Mm, small world um, right but uh, olympia dukakis passed away at the age of 89 and her iconic role obviously i'm a millennial tell me who she is okay she was the the mother in moonstruck Oh, with okay. Cher. You remember Moonstruck? Yeah, I've seen Moonstruck. Now, yeah. now, now, Moonstruck. Most people don't know this, but the writer of Moonstruck insisted that every line be said exactly as written, and Olympia Dukakis was the only one allowed to ad lib a line in that movie. And when she turns around and she got so into character, when Cher had the hickeys on her neck and she's messing around with Nicolas Cage, right. and she turns around and says, what are you doing? Your life's going down the toilet. That was completely ad-libbed. That was not, and the writer said, it stays. That's right. perfect. Let me ask you something, Jack, because I remember I dabbled a little bit in screenwriting back in film school and, you know, just reading stuff. They always tell you, like, it's always like a 50-50. Like, when you're writing, a, let's say you're writing a specific character type, right? Let's say, like, you're writing uh, a wise guy or a police officer, right? Of course, you have to provide the diction in order to make them sound like they're like right. the police officers. Well, the dialect, the, the dialect, the, right? Know, right. Now, when you're writing, when you're actually typing this stuff out, do you write it out like, for example, like you know, in actual concise English, or you actually abbreviate it or add like little adjectives and commas? And when I'm when I'm writing a script, yeah, I I put the characters, I got the characters at the top, and I say, um, he's a big guy, two fifty, maybe six foot three, six foot four, so they know who they're casting. And he's a true, born and bred Chicago police officer. So they know when these guys come into a you know audition, they're sitting there saying, "Are you going to tell me you didn't do this kind of crime? You're not going to tell me that because we know better. We know you did this. You're going to have to admit to it." And if you get someone who comes in there with New York, 
you're like, okay, we're looking for Chicago. Thanks for coming in, you know, and, you know, we'll see you another time. Maybe, maybe not. But, you know, you've got to prepare your audition in accordance. If you turn around and say, this is an Australian-born man who, you know, he turned around and immigrated to the United States, and now he lives in Tennessee. He certainly, did you see um, uh, Bridesmaids? I did. Okay. You remember, remember yes, the cop? Yes, I know exactly right. what you're talking about. Okay. Yeah. You, know, you remember John Hamm said, oh, that guy talks funny. But yeah, he immigrated and he became a police officer. But it's not like he lost his what was it, a Scottish accent or whatever it was. Yeah, he's a, I think yeah, 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 yeah. But that doesn't matter. It's when you're casting, it's important that you have the you know that that kind of. If I turn around and I say I'm looking for a really deep South Alabama Southern girl who now lives in Maine, but she clearly is a fish out of water. There's a description. There she is, and now we know what we're looking for. I don't sit there. I don't sit there and put that in every line. Did you just describe Mystic Pizza? <laughs> yeah, I guess the yeah. No, because Julie Roberts, she's from the South, right? I mean, that's what I was thinking. No, by accident. I was, that was unintentional. But uh, but but we it, apologize it, to the <laughs> Julie Roberts estate. But, but I mean, when I when I write um, when I write a New York character, I I sometimes I sometimes put. Um, uh, like maybe instead of ing, I'll put in apostrophe, so they'll know that you know we're getting going, right? And, you know, and that kind of thing, so they understand not to, not right. to turn around and pronounce the g because that's not what New Yorkers do, right? And then when you're writing some guy from Boston, instead of I'm gonna you're gonna type in park the car, you're gonna say park the well, car. I, I, <laughs> when I got if I got the description, Boston's a little tougher to write. Either you know how to do Boston or you don't. That's a real you know? niche, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's very much so. Yeah. yeah. So, but but Olympia Dukakis, I thought I mean, she was fantastic, in in and and the guy who played um, uh, Danny Frazier, no, no, Frazier's father on the show Frazier, yeah, is in Moonstruck. Who's he play? And he plays the guy, who, the teacher. Who oh. constantly is having a drink thrown in his face in the restaurant where she goes, <laughs> and he's like, "Get rid of everything." Every evidence that she was ever here, and bring me a large glass of vodka. Yes, sir. And they, they, and finally, Olympia Dukakis says, "You know what you are. You're too old for these girls. That's the problem. The problem isn't them. It's you. And you're you're a bad boy who doesn't know how to be good. <laughs> and funny. now he becomes interested in her, and they end up spending some time together. But they don't have an affair. Although he clearly would be up for it. No. But she is. She has a certain a class and dignity about that character. And she straddles the fence in that movie so well between the fact that she has a husband who's got a girlfriend mistress who is cheating on her left and right. And Cher has run into her at Lincoln center, the girlfriend while she's out on a date at Lincoln right. center with her dad. And Nicholas cage is witnessing all of this. And he realizes all this dysfunction and how dare she look at the fact that he and his brother Danny Aiello have issues when it's nothing compared to this? So that whole family, you know. As a matter of fact, um, uh, um, uh, Vincent, uh, what's his name? Who played the dad? Yeah, yeah. I mean, Danny I, Aiello. No, 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 not Danny Aiello. Um, <clears throat> anyway, um, it'll come to me in a second. I actually worked with him, and he's one of the finest actors I ever worked with. And now I can't remember his name off the top of my head, but um. At one point, he comes home from seeing his mistress, and he walks in the door, and off to the side is Olympia Dukakis, and she's listening to some music, and she looks at her husband, and her husband looks at her, and Olympia Dukakis says, 
no matter what, you're going to die. And he goes, oh, that's great. Thanks a lot. All right. And he goes up to bed because he's, she's convinced that the reason men cheat on their wives is to keep from dying. Right. But Danny Aiello did a great job in that as, as the kind of meek, spineless mama's boy. Well, you know, by contrast, Nicolas Cage is anything but. I mean, he'll chop off his own hand to, to get what he wants in right. life. So uh, anyway, rest in peace, Olympia Dukakis. Remember, he, uh, she wasn't the only person who dearly departed this realm. I believe there was also a Tawny... Katane. Uh... <laughs> oh, my gosh. Okay. Yeah, we're you not going to... Show... <laughs> okay. In, in the commercial, uh, in between, in the interim, ladies and gentlemen, uh, Jack was just filling me in on some of the, uh, you know, I, I won't get into it. Yeah, but I, I was just, I was, I was saying that that Tony, I mean, there's A listers, there's B listers, and there's C listers in Hollywood, and um, you know, Tony Katane, I honestly think um, she falls somewhere between C and D uh, as as far as listers. I I mean, you know, you you were curious about the fact that so many well, you, um, athletes and stuff live in Orange County instead of L.A. County. Right. So what's interesting to, for me is the geography or the uh, the populate. <laughs> I think it, there's there's got to be another name for it. The urban density or the uh, ge- demographic population of uh, celebrities <clears throat> in the Southern California area. Well, for those for those outside of Southern California, I mean, there's L.A. County, which is you know, the heart of California, and just south of L.A. County is very very pristine Pleasantville of Orange County, which is for the wealthy or at least well to do, and you you got to be pulling down two to three hundred a year at least to make ends meet in Orange County. But um, and then south of Orange County is San Diego County, but um, but baseball players, basketball players, hockey players, the L.A. Kings players, <clears throat> they live in where in the neighborhood basically where Kobe lived in Orange County, and um, that area is reserved for those that are pretty much A and B list sports celebrities, and someone like uh, Tony Katane, she was married to Chuck Finley um, from the Anaheim Angels, and um, they had a very public separation slash divorce in which Tawny just I mean I'm not gonna I'm not gonna give her a lot of attention but but Tawny went from you know squirming around on the on the hood of White Snake's car in that video to basically being uninvited to everything because of her behavior and and the way she was publicly humiliating herself and her family and Chuck Finley and the Anaheim Angels and I mean people just did not want her around after that and so uh now tony katana I, I don't even think she she was in her 50s wasn't she she was 59 so okay so yeah. she was at the edge of her 50s but but you know tony katane she lived on the red line she had she was she was her engine was ready to go at any time i don't i don't know what her cause of death i i, I mean you know i'm not you know what uh, she sounds like what phil hartman's wife the one who killed him to tell you the truth she reminded me of sharon stone from casino i'm sick of you i am Now, I know you have your misgivings about Casino, but you had to admit, Sharon Stone was pretty good in that movie. She was forever in that movie. She was was in that movie about twice as much as she should have been. Don't get me started on Casino. Don't start me on Casino again. I'm sorry, Um, okay? No, don't start me on Casino. It's across Um, the bear. I'll tell you what, and and just the other thing, we were talking about stuff in entertainment. Um, um, Producer Karen and I watched a couple of old films and both of which I would recommend to you, and as as a person who works in the industry, as you do 
like you and I don't always. By old, you mean black and white, right? No, no, uh, uh, no, not at all. Both of these are color films. I just no, I was just joking. Oh no, no, I meant, I meant like because you and I, you and I split off and do other projects, and and we're constantly, we're constantly working and we're in touch regularly, but, but we're not always on the same project. I'm trying to, I'm trying to get you on. I'm trying to get you on a, a project that I'm working on now. I'm going to see what I can do, but um, and then that would be fantastic if I can. Yeah, it'd be great. Um, that'd but, be great. You know, well, let me see what the... I can do. Okay. But anyway, so um, we watched uh, Mad, 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 Mad World. Oh, I love that movie. Love Spencer that movie. Tracy, right? Spencer Tracy. It's got almost everybody. Jerry Lewis, right? Um, Jer- Jack Benny. Wait, he has a cameo. He plays the pilot, right? In that uh, um, Jerry. No, no, that's that's uh, Bacchus, Jim Bacchus, right? Plays the pilot. Um, who else? Can you... Phil Silvers. Phil Silvers. Don Knotts. Right. Um, uh, um, Dick Sean, uh, Ethel Merman, um, Jonathan Winters. I mean, just I, I could just keep going. Hang on a second. Let me see how many right, I could do. We got, you said Spencer Tracy, right? Um, we got Slim Pickens, who's in there, right? Um, Peter Falk, um, Jack Benny's sidekick from the radio show, Rochester. Um, it, it, it goes, it, the, the list goes on and on of, of the, the three stooges are in it. Yeah, no, they they have a cameo in there. Yeah, well. they play the the firemen. Yeah. Anyway, so we saw Mad 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 World, and and that's one of those movies that stands the test of time. I mean, it was made in sixty one or sixty two, and and we laughed to the point where we had to shut our door so at our condo because well people could hear us laughing. We were laughing aloud. So um, a couple nights ago, we we watched um, a film from about nineteen eighty, which I don't think you've seen. It's called The Sunshine Boys. Wait. It's Walter Matthau and George Burns, and they play a couple of retired vaudevillians who had worked together for 45 or 50 years. I haven't seen it yet. Okay. okay. It's fantastic. I mean, the, the, the comedic timing, it's a Neil Simon project. Okay, so yeah, and he's it, got, the, that's the, it, uh, the pedigree, it, yeah. Right, but it, but it, but it has the timing, the, the, the joke's timing of Odd Couple. Of when the Odd Couple movie. Well, came Neil out. Simon, that's 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 his bag. I've seen uh, Biloxi Blues. What's the Biloxi one? Biloxi Blues. What's the one with um, where he where he's talk when he grew up in? Uh, it, it was some small town in the Catskills, and they got like a they have an estranged grandmother who treats him like. Crap. Oh, I don't know. I, I, I think it's Brighton Beach Memoirs, or oh, not. Brighton Beach Memoirs might be that. Yeah, that might be it because I, I thought you were, I thought you were starting to go into direction of. Um, Robert Redford and Jane Fonda in Barefoot in the Park. No, no, no. But, have I mean, have that, you seen I Barefoot in the Park? I never saw it. But, okay. okay. That's another one that, that's... Yeah, but Biloxi that, Blues is the one I'm most familiar when with. When you watch Barefoot in the Park as a film, you think you're watching a play because it's done in such a compressed area. Well, of course, because that was his... Uh, that was his thing. Right. And writing for stage is a lot different than writing for the screen. Clearly. Yeah. But he writes films... That could easily translate to stage. Well, because the wit is because that's that's his his general remark. Well, I mean, I'll tell I'll tell the listening audience that um, after seeing it again and realizing how how it has stood the test of time, I know it's a stage production. Um, so now I'm interested. I mean, I've got stuff going on for the next six months, but I am interested in maybe doing the stage production of Sunshine Boys. Mm. I would have to find. The right, I would have to obviously do the math owl role, right? But but I would love to find out who could play Al Lewis. Randy, but, <laughs> nah. but, you know, Randy could do anything. Randy Davison is tremendously. Talented. He's like he super anything. Blue. Yeah, he's I mean, like Bondo. Like. Right. I mean, you know. But anyway, so we, we're not casting anything right now. But I, I I getting getting that production up and going wouldn't be very very tough at all because it's basically four characters. Right. And that's the whole thing. But the Sunshine Boys, I totally recommend. You check it out, okay. and and 
you will not have any trouble staying with it because it is it is such pitter patter of one liners and uh in the film f murray abraham's in it okay yeah, richard richard benjamin's in it. howard hessman's in it in the in the film version right from wkrp in cincinnati right i mean it, and they were all at, at their infancy of their careers and and F. Murray was uh, he had his uh, he was in Amadeus right and, no and know. he was he was also Omar so Omar Suarez Suarez in Scarface, in Scarface yeah. yes but I mean he ended up with a fantastic career but if you look at him in his late twenties or early thirties doing the Sunshine Boys it's fantastic he, was in he has one he, did that? he had it one scene with Matt though he had to have been because they shot it in seventy nine. But um, well, Scarface was in '83, but they were filming in '82. But he looked way older. He Scarface wasn't... was released in '83. '83 was it? Okay, so they must have been shooting '80, '80, '81, '82 because it took three years to make. Right. Well, I mean, like, yeah, cause they had a lot of footage they left on the floor. They had a lot of footage. They could have made a five-hour movie out of that. That's a whole other story. But um, but yeah, F. Murray Abraham's been around for a while, and yes, he played Omar. Um, uh, uh or, or yeah. So anyway, um. But uh, he's in it, and and then you see this this sprinkling of all these. I mean, Steve Allen's in it, uh, Phyllis Diller's in it. Um, a lot it, of names. They're all yeah. It's a pretty amazing film, and and it was it was done by Herbert Ross, who I worked with on My Blue Heaven, and I didn't realize that he had done. I forgot my you were Blue in My Blue Heaven. My Blue Heaven wasn't yeah. that the that, all right. Correct me if I'm wrong. That was the first adaptation of the Henry Hill story, right? Well, that was uh, that was a, a, a parody, right? But okay, because the movie was in eight. The movie came out in '88, right? '88, right? Right. We Henry, shot it. We and, shot it in '86, right? And then Henry Hill was uh, arrested and indicted in late eight, in yeah, early, in '89 or '90, yeah. But it was it was the first attempt at at shining some light on it, right? And the fact the fact that a lot of criminals from the northeast end up in the southwest because it's as far away as you can get from where you started that's true but so, you know but san diego do, has had its uh, fair share of mob figures i mean actually there's uh, quite a few uh if you if you look hard enough there's quite there were a few spots back in the day that were part of the circuit or part of the uh, outfit there's there's no doubt that the del mar solana beach oh, yeah. rancho santa fe area is loaded with people who have retired from organized crime to live the life and hang out at the del mar racetrack i mean that there's no doubt about that. I mean, it, it, you know, and there's a lot of unclaimed income in that area. <laughs> well, I'll put it this way. No, but no, there were actually, there was one boss that lived out here. His main stake was actually in Normal Heights, the Bomp. I think that was his name. Yeah, Mountain View. I yeah. know who you're talking about. Yeah, I know. And, and, and I we, had a, we had a mayor who was uh, involved. With, and I know, uh, and uh, there's an old rumor that was, uh, I'm still, uh, I have yet to confirm, but since my dad worked at a health spa back in the day, and, you know, he, you know, he would see these guys because, like you said, they come out here and retire. Right. Yeah. So, if you're familiar with the with Chula Vista in the late '80s, after you know, the, until the early '90s when the Cold War ended, all the defense plant jobs just dried up, right? So, we're the South Bay was always dependent on defense jobs, right? Right. So, well, N N NASCO, NASCO, yeah. yeah. Right. So once we didn't have the uh, you know the big bad bear to fight, all those jobs went to put uh, went kaput. So this is what happened. They tried to change it, and they, you know, started developing the east area where I currently live, Otay Ranch. Right now, here's the story. Well, you live in a very polished, like I mean, nice. It's nice. only like thirty years old, so yeah, it's still. To, to be honest with you, like if if San Diego is L.A., you live in kind of Beverly Hills. I wouldn't call it Beverly Hills. <laughs> no. Way. If Chula Vista is Chula Vista, East Lake is Beverly Hills. You think so? 
Oh my God! What about, okay, those I think homes La, out there. La Jolla, I mean, I mean, almost none of those homes are, are ratty. Almost none of those homes look like they need a paint job. Look, and all those homes are large. No, the, you're right. That's and what you people, guys. That's you guys are on a lake out there. Give right. me a break. You're like you're and right. And you're eight miles from Chula Vista. You're like nobody wanders over there by accident. You gotta you gotta turn around and drive and drive and drive down H Street until you get to East Lake. Well, let me tell you something, Jack, because uh, that veneer that you're describing, it's slowly uh, being chipped away. Oh, yeah, I'm sure it's being be, eroded. <laughs> here, I'll put it this way, because, you know, trouble never seems to stop following me for some reason. <laughs> no, Where's Corey when I need him? <laughs> no, 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 no. I'll put it this way. No, it wasn't me this time, I swear. Okay. I was at Vaughn's, because, uh, so you know that Canelo was fighting. So you know Canelo was fighting this weekend, right? Yeah, I so, heard about that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, the guy got popped in the eye. It was pretty bad too, anyways. Really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I didn't. I, I I actually called a friend of mine while he was watching the fight. You didn't said, bother. He said, "Love to talk to you, but I'm watching the fight." Click. Why didn't you just see the fight? <laughs> I I was busy. I'm you know I, you know I'm working. I, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm doing yeah, a you're film. You're working stiff. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and I'm doing a TV so, show. So let me get to. Oh, let me finish the story. Okay. So we're at the, we're at Vaughn's, right? We're picking up stuff for the party, right? And these two homeless guys are about to scrap between me and my dad while we're standing in line. And then they're like, first. You thing, were in between the two of them and they were going to fight? Yeah. So were you guys the referees? How, no. how did they start a fight around you? So we're going through the aisles, right? And we're making our way towards the cash register, right? To, you know, buy the stuff. Yeah. And then we could see him. I kind of got a glimmer of one of the guys because he kind of gave me a dirty look. That's time to go to self-checkout. I was like, <laughs> no, we were in self-checkout, actually. Oh, that's horrible. No, I was kidding. No, no. So I'm going there, right? And all of a sudden, I hear, stay the hell away from me. Say something in front of my... They're about to go at it. And my dad and I were looking at each other. And we look at the staff because we this is the this is the store we shop at all the time. And we look at him and like, hey. You know, uh, you gonna help us out here? And they were like, "Yeah." So we start swarming them, and they're all like, "Oh, get what away!" You from start me. swarming them. They like they started you, like you know like they kind of corral them away from the you know, and they were ended up and they ended up they like, were swarming. Or you and your dad were. They were. Okay. Me and my dad were looking at each so other. The, the, the employees were playing police there for this. Yeah. Oh boy. Yeah. So then we told them like, "Hey, what's going on here? We've never seen these guys because we've noticed that there've been a couple homeless guys that have been coming through." The reason for that is because uh, they opened a new bus route, and that is a direct line from downtown. So they're going more eastward now. Yeah, but it doesn't matter. It's not like it, they wouldn't be going eastward unless there was something waiting for them. Like if they, if they had, yeah, more people to pick. The, you if know, people are turn around and and they're able to stand at a corner and get some money. Yeah, they'll go there. Of course, they'll go there. I don't agree with that method of 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 panhandling, where people are standing on corners. Because to tell you the truth. I couldn't stand on a corner for eight hours. And one day I was down in Fashion Valley, which is like the middle artery of San Diego. And I, I was, um, it was about to get dark. And I was near Fashion Valley, which is a high-end mall. It right? gets rough though. But Fashion Valley is a high-end mall. And these uh, panhandlers were at the stop sign that leads away from the mall. I know exactly what you're talking about. You know what I'm talking about? By Cheesecake By, by T.F. Chang's right, too. exactly, yeah. exactly. And I had my windows open and they were asking, how did you do? How did you do it? And frankly, they made more than I did that day. And, and they were sitting there talking about how much money they made and they were laughing about it. But now they're going to go spend it getting drunk and getting high. And I thought, okay, this is not helping the situation. This is actually encouraging a bad situation. So I don't, I so, don't give out the money. No, the, I don't either. Because if these guys can stand there for eight hours, they, they could probably get a job if they can do that. Of I mean, course. You know? it's, like the, it's like when they were giving out the, the, free need, the, the clean needles up in San Francisco, or, and they were just encouraging more drug use. Now, well, they were, encur they were trying 
the, the thinking was that they were trying to discourage the sharing of, of dirty needles, but <clears throat> that didn't work. No, I mean, come that on. Was a bad, that was a bad that idea. That was a horrible idea. Horrible idea. I understand handing out condoms at a school. I get that because kids are going to be having sex. So at least get them something to protect them so nobody's getting pregnant. But this was this was an attempt to reduce the sharing of bad needles. And the problem is then they were like, okay, this is a green light. Let's get more drugs. We got right. clean needles. <laughs> So, I think I know what they were going with because I read somewhere on some random internet article that Portugal experimented with uh, letting people uh, use drugs. So they decriminalized uh, basically almost every known contr- controlled substance, I think including cocaine as well. However, they provided treatment services afterwards. Right. Which and, is what they do in Canada. Right. And you then know? it yeah. dropped in terms of like deaths and, you know, right. morbidity. I mean, they'll, and they'll, give you, they'll give you needles and everything, but they'll, they'll look to wean you off of it and they'll get, look to get you counseling. Right. Whereas in America, yep. they just simply say, here's clean needles and you better stop doing those drugs. Right. Yeah, I, I, I don't agree with that. Or it's like, no, no, no. Here's a better analogy. <laughs> Sink or swim. Like... <laughs> 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 You know, no, I, it's like you know if you're this is the titanic this is the lifeboat right rose make some room for me on the piece of wood here yeah. i'll never let go and she lets go you're so stupid rose don't get me started on that movie what don't tell me you were, you were gonna be in that movie too no 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 actually a, a friend of mine is in that movie and 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 i i'd seen him several times as i saw the movie does he play a frozen no, he's a really good friend of mine. Like, we've, been, we've been going skiing together for years and i didn't really so he's already used to the cold <laughs> <laughs> already used to the cold. <laughs> well, you are on tonight. <laughs> no, so I when he when he said who he was in the movie, and I thought, oh my gosh, I know I I've seen you every time I've seen the movie. And he said, yeah, it's, it was the highest grossing movie. And I said, I know I know about that. I know about the success, but I didn't realize you were in it. And the fact that they were recruiting here in San Diego. Oh yeah, and I great. and I was like the only actor in town that didn't work on it because I was in L.A. If, you know, if Randy was uh, Randy was out here in the '90s, right? Oh yeah, Randy. Yeah, Randy. That'd be funny. Imagine him being on the on the little boat. I mean, on the top of the ship, and like I, with his. I, with I will his, bet my friend his... Anthony Cox was probably in that. Almost every actor I know here had worked on that at one point or another. I just, I just happened. Didn't, you didn't I happened didn't? to be in L.A. during that stretch, and I was working like I was being moved around at the studios from sitcom to sitcom, L.A. Law to you know. Let me ask you something: Is there like a subculture between the different genres? Like, there's like you see a bag of actors for sitcoms, right? Right. And then you see extras for feature films, right? And then right. they they rarely coalesce. Right. Lately, I've been seeing a little more blur now because you know television has had a huge revitalization in the last fifteen to twenty years. And like basically all our, you know, well, pr- production companies, if they if they see you on a set as an extra, and they see you hanging around with the wrangler that handles the extras, they're not going to start looking at you as an actor because now they've got you locked in, right? And it's going to be very difficult to hop that fence. Right. I mean, there's a you're there's spot, a wall between the light. right? <laughs> you know, it's it's just, I mean, it's so much easier for them if they sit there and they say they see Mister A. And B and C and those are extras, and then they see you know Mr. L M and N, and they say okay those are actors, and then that's it. They just want people to carry out the roles. They don't really care who has a career and who doesn't. That's up to you to handle that. That's you and your agent dealing with that. They just want to get the product done, and and if they know they can rely on you to deliver the lines, great. If they know they can rely on you to be atmosphere and not look at the camera, great. And that's where you stay. 
And if you want to, I mean, I started out as an extra. I did extra work for years. Right. I mean, uh, remember the verdict? Uh, Bruce Willis, he's an extra. He's right there. Yeah. In the, in I mean, the... you know, Kevin Bacon was an extra in, in Night Shift with Henry Winkler on the Ron Howard film. There's Kevin Bacon doing the conga line in the in the funeral parlor. Right. Or... I mean, or whatever it is, the morgue. Yeah, right. he's down at but, the morgue. Well, we're getting... We're, right, but, but I mean, but, but, but yeah, there 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 is a division. There is a division. I was going to tell you that... Um, that you talk about people that live in L- in L.A. and people that live in Orange County, there are neighborhoods that have A-listers living in the neighborhood, and it's usually gated communities. No, no kidding. But now if somebody who is not an A-lister or if the real estate agent or the realtor isn't sure, they will discuss with the people in the community. They'll actually have a meeting as to whether or not this person is considered one of us. Is that an A-lister? Do we do we allow them to purchase here because it's a gated community? They could say yes or no, and if they sit there and say, "Come on," it's like an HOA. Made, they made they made two two mediocre films in their whole life that they're not one of us, right? Or if they sit there and they say, "And it's a bunch of athletes living in a, in an area," they don't sit there and say, "Oh yeah, let's get let's get that person in here because he he rode the bench for like the Cleveland Indians for two seasons." That's not an athlete to them. That's somebody who basically got a minimum wage check out of the at a major league baseball. So, so yeah, there is there is absolutely a, a, dis- a discrimination that goes on because they want to live amongst the people that they can relate to, people that are like them. Right. So, yeah, that therein lies the problem. Um, that if you I if you want to move, if you want to be like the Jeffersons, moving on up, you, you you better show up. You better show up with some something loaded. You know that's interesting because it's like you got it's it's about who you picked being your little club or your little clique, so to speak. Right, it's a clique. Uh, it is. like, and It's like, okay, so we go back to our favorite, you know, mass, you know, cult member in the world, Manson, right? <laughs> yeah, so, that's like, our favorite, yeah. Well, he's the one that's, we lean that, on the most. That's our poster child. Yeah. Right there, you know, with the scraggly hair, you know, the man of the year. But, um, no, but, like, think of it this way. Like, like there must where, have, there Corey, must have where been, are you? Think about it, Jack. There must have been a million other, you know, wannabe Charles. I mean, there must have been a million other Charles Mansons hanging around Sunset Strip back in the sixties. Yeah, so what's the deal with him? I mean, let me, let me let me tell you something. First of all, it's it's the whole Sharon Tate and um, the director um, uh, and, Polanski. Polanski. Yeah. Um, you know, it it's the fact that these people were really high profile people, and Sharon Tate's career was paved with gold. I mean, all she had basically had to do was stay alive and look pretty. And and I mean, she was not going to be she was not going to lose her pretty. For probably twenty five or thirty years, no, I mean, she was yeah. one of those like Christy Brinkley type people. So, so that was that was not just a loss for the industry, but the industry was going to make it up in publicity. The tragedy and, of it. The yeah. tragedy of it was going to be spotlighted. So, um, that that's part of the problem. I did a film in, um, uh, I think it's going to be. I'm going to say 1999, like right right when the Titanic was doing their thing. Um, uh, I did a film about serial killers. And what I didn't know, and this is an actual statistical fact, and it's it's the best that they can estimate is at any one time in America, and that's the 48 states of America, it's not Alaska, Hawaii, in America, continental America, there are around 400 serial killers at all times oh this is like cory territory right no here. no no this is truth is alien stuff but it's but th- there are so many people i've heard that either come before. up missing or are found dead 
I'll give you an example. And they're um, usually in the Midwest, right? Somebody, somebody's father died recently, and I, I don't want to get into the whole story right now, but somebody's father died, just the regular Joe Blow died. And the family, of course, is going through his things. They're going to divvy up stuff. And in his basement, they find bones of human beings. And it's a whole bunch of different human beings. And they, they are sitting there saying, okay, wait a second. Was that a serial killer or something? Like, they're finding all these bodies in his basement. And they were just looking to divvy up his clothes and, you know, his bank account and stuff and figure out where the will goes. And now they're finding, now there's a whole FBI investigation. Hold up. Let me ask you something. Go ahead. Is your friend's brother, is his, is his dad Ted Cruz? <laughs> <laughs> right? Ted Zodiac. Cruz. We found him. <laughs> but, I mean, it's just, it just, this is just one example. And most serial killers either keep trophies, most, almost all, keep trophies of some sort, clothing, jewelry, something, so that they can... Political of, contributions? Right, basically like like a photo album, if you will. But um, they're usually burying the bodies out in the middle of nowhere, and nobody comes across this stuff, and animals dig it up and ravage it, and, and it's gone. But But there are thousands of people that come up missing every year and are never found. Like, there's no conclusion. I watch the ID channel probably 12 or 14 hours a week. And there are stories on that. And usually it comes to, it comes to fruition where they, they wrap it up. But sometimes you get to the end and they say, well, if you have any information on this crime, still please, cold call, cases, yeah. Yeah, please, still, please call the Tennessee. <laughs> you know, it's, you know, it's crazy because it's like, you don't really know what a person is until they're, you know, until they're gone. Right. Yeah. That's when the curtain is pulled back. Right. So here's case in point. So I had a buddy of mine back in high school, right? And he was describing to me because he's actually he's half because uh, his his father's side is from uh, Kentucky and his mother's side is from TJ from Tijuana, right? Interesting combination, right? Wow, yeah, Thanksgiving must have been fun. Yeah, it was, yeah, 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 yeah turkey but, but, and tortillas. That's amazing. I no, mean, you had a friend in high school. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I had a lot of friends in high school. Yeah, I could see you being popular yeah. in high school. I'm just, I'm just breaking you. Actually, uh, well, I, you know what? I won't go into that. Yeah. But um, anyways, so when he was a child, his gr- his grandfather died. Now he only met him a few times, and he was nice with him, right? Mm-hmm. And then he found out the real, the real reason why he wasn't he wasn't so nice to his mother. So when they were, you know, getting rid of the, you know, and they were putting his farm on sale, right? And you know, he had a big barn and everything, right? right? Like you know, he had his uh, property and all his, you know, stuff. So he goes to the barn, right? He finds a chest. In the chest are robes, and not just clan robes; they're red ones. He was a grand wizard. <laughs> Oh, oh, Grand Wizards wear red robes? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, they're like, they wear like, because they have... I'm, I'm playing a KKK oh. Grand Wizard, but I didn't know that. No, because yeah. they've, they've got me in a white with a red. Because that's the generic. Okay. I mean, it depends on what chapter, because the clan is not as, well, I don't want to get down into it, but yeah, we are down to Podunk now, are we now? <laughs> no, but they have like a hierarchy, right? You, know, you right. got the regular ones, like the Cyclops. Well, it's, like, it's like uniforms. Yeah, it is. That's, I mean, it's they identification. They think of themselves as soldiers. I, I know, a, but it's identification uniforms. Exactly. That's what it is. Yeah. Oh, wow. I mean, okay. you've seen Springer. You've seen every time the clan comes out, they come in different color, right? It looks like, yeah. a, they look like they're wearing crayons, yeah. you know? I don't know if they come out in different colors. Most of those guys look white. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Okay. So, you know, we, we're going we're gonna to yeah. kind of wrap it up for tonight. Wait, for... but you never told me what your buddy played in Titanic. Oh. Um, the human popsicle? Oh, oh, no, no. He, You know what? In, in uh, I can point it out to you. It's, it's just, uh, he's well, got a scene. small part. Okay. Oh, it's right before... 
it breaks in half. Those it's when they're it's when they're scrambling to get on the lifeboats. Yeah, and um, and they're trying to organize things. I think it's I think it's right around the time when the guy grabs the child and says, "I'm all she has. I have to get on a lifeboat." So, and he lies about the kid being his kid. Whoa, wait a minute. You're telling me your buddy's Billy Zane? No, 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 no. Billy Zane was the one that did that. Yeah. I yeah. think he's in that scene where Billy Zane is claiming that this kid belongs to him just to get on a lifeboat because Billy Zane had no scruples. This is not Billy Zane. Okay. No, I'm going to just I'm so gonna he, refute that so, right okay. away. So he's not a Z. Wait, is Billy Zane a Z-lister now? Billy Zane is, uh, well, Titanic is an enormous success you can never walk away from. So I would say he's probably a B or C. He's maybe a C plus or a B minus. I mean, I don't think he's an A at all. No. But I, I think there, I think there was three years there where he probably was an A. Right. He was going to all the parties. All right. So we're gonna we're gonna wrap it up. This will be season three, episode eighteen. Unfortunately. Corey's streak of 80 in a row comes to an end tonight. He couldn't be here with us because uh, his appendix exploded. But, uh, Corey, we are sending great thoughts. I finally got to get some sleep a few days after you got done with surgery. Um, I'm going to send out good thoughts your way. And Robin with a Y has been keeping us uh, posted day to day on what's been going on. Um, You can actually find us on Facebook, JV to the Pros, all spelled out on Facebook. Or you could email us with comments and compliments at jvdidapros at gmail.com, all spelled out. We're also on Instagram, jvdidapros at Instagram. Um, we're on Spotify. We're on iHeart. We're on TuneUp. We're on uh, Stitcher. We're on we're on everything. Just if you, I'll if you, tell you we're not on. We're not on the Titanic, that's for sure. <laughs> Where did you come from tonight? Boy, why did you do that when Corey's on the show? That's really great. All right. So we are going to wrap up season three, episode 18 of JV to the Pros. I'm Jack Vecchio. And my partner tonight, filling in for Corey, the Iron Man Ramsey, is the last man standing, Paco. Yep. I'm going to pick up the bar tab because this guy loves his whiskey. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Wait, what are they drinking in New York these days? Um, New York is Fireball is still. Fireball I is, hate Fireball. And, tr- and something called Trulies uh, is, is a drink. Truly it's like in okay. a can. But it's Fireball, can. that's like, you know, that's what drunk uh, college girls drink. You know, it's like, you know. Like, All right, sign me up. All right. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I, I don't want to be like uh, Matthew Perry. You heard what yeah. happened to him, right? Oh, Matthew yeah. Perry goes on a dating site and he starts hitting on it. He's like 50. Well, and yeah. he's hitting on a 19-year-old girl. And the girl said, oh, this is gross. But he sends a video about how he wants to go out with her and the things he'd like to do with her. So she shares that video, which makes Matthew Perry, you know, Chandler Bing from Friends look right. like an idiot. And um, and, and I also think it's funny that um, um, J-Lo went back to Ben Affleck after leaving after leaving a off the wagon she goes well she goes back she goes to ben affleck and then finds out that ben is on a dating site and was hitting on like an 18 year old girl and j-lo said i'm not gonna put up with that i've i've been i've been nominated for an academy award and ben affleck said "Uh, i've won a couple of those You know, but uh, isn't he off the wagon or is he back? I, I think he's fine. But, okay. you know, Ben Affleck, he always looks like the last guy at the bar. Like no, he's, yeah, he's, just he's like, like he's... a cup of coffee and sloppy mismatched slippers and right. and a robe that doesn't. He's like Tony Soprano getting the newspaper. Oh. Anyway, so we're going to wrap up. Being, we're going yeah. to wrap up season three, episode 18 of JV to the Pros. We thank you for listening. And Corey, you will be back next week, Mr. Iron Man. And we miss you.
and we miss your old appendix. 